0: Welcome, everybody, to Constitution UK. This is an experiment. Uh, We, frankly, don't know where we're going with this.
1: Nothing new there, then.
0: (laughs) I I had to wait so long for that heckle. (laughs) We rehearsed it before we came down,
1: David. (laughs) I'm sorry, I forgot.
0: (laughs) And uh, we're going to have you out of here by 8 o'clock, or shortly after 8 o'clock. But you have to work because the hashtag Constitution UK shows you that we are, in fact, working together to try and create a constitution, a constitution for the United Kingdom. Uh, You might ask, why are we doing it? Well, you may know that Iceland tried it. Now, it's not normally the case that where Iceland goes, the United Kingdom follows. The defeat of England or Britain or the United Kingdom, what is this country called anyway, in the Cod Wars, ooh, do we claim territorial waters? Lingers in this jurisdiction. No, we're doing it we're doing it because I think we realised that we can. That we've reached a point where you can engage the public in this kind of quasi deliberative quasi plebiscitary way. And today, we are going to concentrate on the values that should underpin the Constitution. Uh, We drill down later, on which more in a moment, to the principles that underpin the Constitution, and then we get down to the work of actually producing a draft document. We're not doing that, Tonight. There's a chap here. There's a chap here who feels may I say this, sir, time is not on his side, he thinks. <laughs> may I say that? That's an example of lack of esteem. That's an example now you may want to vote for esteem, in which case you can complain about what I've just said. Fine. Uh, we're gonna spend about six months in an interactive way on our website www.constitution.uk, drilling down past the values and past the principles to the document. And uh, you will know we've already got uh, quite a lot of reaction on the web. If you combine the various places we've put this out, we've had over a thousand interactions. We've had comment is free, we've had hundreds, hundreds of comments there. I don't know if any of you have added comments, comment is free, sometimes they're slightly odd, sometimes they make sense. Uh, We've had the website, we've had comments on the website, and so we've already, through Twitter, begun this engagement. Now what's gonna happen is not just review, input, advice. What's gonna happen is that you guys are going to decide things tonight. And the values that we decide tonight are going to be the values that guide the project over the course of the next six months. And that's going to produce a draft constitution. We're going to have a weekend carnival, fingers crossed, 2014, not long to wait. And that's going to produce a draft which we then subject to a deliberative process of consultation. I think we're going to have something like uh, a forum, we're going to elect some of you to represent the people, we're going to get some politicians, we're going to get some lawyers, and that forum will then produce a constitution which we will launch, we still haven't worked this out, my preference is for a little Runnymede picnic the day before the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta, what about that? (laughs) There's a little field, there's a little field between two airports. And so yes. never find it. And he <coughs> threw it. It's impossible to find. Yeah. It's will rain if you have a picnic. <laughs> we have to have a picnic for a TV show chaired by Tony Bennett at 6 in the morning because after 7 o'clock you can say nothing because of the airlines. And the only monument, the only monument in Runnymede is from the American lawyers. Hmm. The rest of it is neglected. Well, I think we should have our own cult-like celebration on the eve of Runnymede. That's down the line. That'll be June the 22nd, 2015. And so I think this is the beginning of something which is going to be programmatic and engaged. Today, values, and I want our panel, you know there's a tension here, isn't there, between the people and experienced, engaged, involved commentators and we tried to put together a panel which captures that. So just to get us going, I'd like to ask each panel member, except one, no, I will allow you, David, shortly, uh, to say who they are, and then in a sentence, what they think is the critical point. Some of you might want to say why you're in favour of written constitution, some might want to say what's important about process, some might want to say something about values. So, uh, have you got microphones and things? Uh, yeah. uh, David, we can start with you. Just say who you are, and, and also, is the microphone just here?
1: No. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm David Blanke. I'm the Member of Parliament for Sheffield, Brightside, and Hillsborough, and I was the harshest, the most... Uh, Um, undemocratic the least free home secretary we've ever had (laughs) Uh, and somebody's just tweeted Blunkett's admitted what we knew all (laughs) along thank you David more
0: from David oh do you
1: want to know what I'm going to say no you've used up all your time (laughs) Uh, we're
0: working on the principle of 140 characters and he used them all up (laughs) (laughs) I think you've just got your own
2: back thank you very much Carol I'm Carol Harlow, and I've been professor of public law, not anymore, but it seems to me since Magna Carta, I've been professor (laughs) of public law at the LSE. And Connor has asked me to uh, present a case against having a written constitution.
0: Thank you very much, Carol. And more from Carol on that point later.
3: Yeah, I'm uh, Leah Ufi. I'm a political theorist in the government department. And um, I'm from Albania originally and not entitled to vote in the UK, so in an optimal position to comment about the UK constitution. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, related to that, I'm going to talk about deliberation and representation and the importance of deliberation in a constitution.
0: All right. So the importance of doing something a bit more deliberative than what we're doing is that, right? So, but we're going to do a bit of both. You'll see a lot of deliberation tonight. (laughs) Richard.
4: Uh, Richard Gordon Barrister. Um, I actually wrote a book called Repairing British Politics, which contains a draft. Uh, constitution for the country and i'm going to spend my time trying to direct you as to where to find this book i think it's on sale
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you can guess what
4: my views are
0: <laughs> and in fairness the book is being hawked outside and Richard's quite lucky in a way because there are lots and lots of copies still available <laughs> <A> huge number
5: <laughs>
0: you should see his garage uh, <laughs> Now look, on to values. Uh, We've had these hundreds of interactions over a thousand. We've had hundreds of tweets alone. Uh, They're coming in here and there are some suggestions about the kind of constitution we should have. Uh, this is being filmed, it will go out on the web, people will be able to respond to it, so we're, we're laying this on for people who may not be able to get to London, who are from uh, the north of England, Scotland, elsewhere. Further afield, we had a poignant letter from somebody who lives in one of the British territories who wants to be part of the constitutional debate, they'll be able to participate. This is uh, from uh, Ed Hobson, is he here by any chance? Is Ed here? It can be amazing, to have a human being, he's probably embarrassed to, en- to allow he exists. We like to, we like to be virtual, not me on the web. Uh, I- Quite like an elected head of state and the separation of church and state if that's not too much trouble. What a
2: lovely English,
0: if I may say so, not British, (laughs) introduction. If you don't mind, I would like to murder the Queen. (laughs)
2: Uh,
0: Here's one from the alliterative Peter Pink, suggestive possibly of the politics. Uh, What would you put in the UK constitution and then my random name? A home. Would he put me in the constitution? No. A home adequate food and fuel for everyone. So, there's an important point to develop there about the extent in which the Constitution can actually produce outcomes like that. Now, on the website, as you will know, we had, uh, well, there's another one, uh, standing up for the underdog sense of fair play. This, for those of who can't see it is from the womb, uh, we've decided to embrace non-humans in the constitutional <laughs> consultation, and speaking of which, there's a really excellent argument for extending the constitution to animals by my old friend and academic Alistair Cochrane on the web, uh, but the Woo thinks we should have no forced work, oh. right, this is, this is obviously a student, <laughs> free speech, and then slightly randomly, rights currently protected by, do you remember, David, one of your greatest achievements, the Human Rights Act. Uh, standing up for the underdog and sense of fair play the ones we have on the website were ones that in a sense we're trying to to guide the audience guide the discussion but we're open equality of esteem celebration of diversity protection of freedoms subsidiarity which means the lowest level deciding things being the best human security which means a lot of things the protection of the people. David's gonna be talking about that shortly. And also, because this is not intended to be just liberals talking to liberals, the importance of the family. So by values, we mean some sort of abstract ideas that we think should drive the Constitution. Uh, Does anybody want to make an early pitch for values that are missing? from the Constitution. And a strong surge of approval for them would actually drive us to include them. Have we got anybody who thinks we've missed something? Yes, sir, over there. Wait a second, because we need to record this. And you need, I think, in case you're Mr. Wu, uh, to tell us who you are.
6: Hi, I'm Frank McGuinness. I'm a master's student here at LSE. I'm on the LLM program. Um, I suppose uh, I would say that what's lacking in the current UK constitution is uh, a concept mm-hmm. of collective rights and the ability to refer to classes of people, like be they economic classes or uh, minority classes. I think that that's what's lacking from a kind of liberal individualized rights discourse.
0: All oh, right, thank you very much, Frank. So in a way, it's skewed, What I presented, what we presented is skewed toward the kind of individualism that would drive the Constitution in a certain direction. Is that what you mean? People agree with that or other ones that we've got missing? Collectivism. We could add something on collectivism. Madam, can we get to a microphone over there, please?
7: Thanks very much. Um, My name's Ruth Larby and I work at an organisation called the Overseas Development Institute. Um, uh, I'm quite interested in this idea of values. Um, I'd like to posit one as being universalism that's maybe not um, kind of conceived of or framed in quite that way Um, but I know the IPPR have done some work on values themselves Uh and one that's quite interested me was the idea of, as you say, including things that are more conservative. So something like conservatism in a value framework might be one that is also of benefit to people.
0: But then if we include conservatism, we've bought into a political ideology, haven't we?
7: Not necessarily. I think there are um, benefits to realising that some things can stay the same.
0: All oh, right, I see what you mean. I That's see what you, what you mean. mean. So, small C conservatives. It's
7: very small right. C. Right. And
0: was yours a kind of small S socialism? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I wonder are these values or are these ideologies sneaking into the Constitution? Because we need to have a groundswell of opinion for these or others to get get cracking and include them. Does anybody agree? Have any others to add? Should we? Yes, sir. And then this gentleman behind. And then we might move on to the next phase.
8: Uh, I've got one to add. It's not beautifully. What's your name? Oh, sorry, Alexander Stevenson. I, um, I'm a concerned citizen. Um, oh my
0: goodness, uh, Alexander!
5: Oh. With how many followers
0: on Twitter? Yeah, 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 Five
8: thousand yeah, yeah. tweets. Well, more followers. Uh, probably after <laughs> after tonight. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and I haven't got it perfectly formed, but I guess this is the point of it. Is there's something about commitment to the long term, a value of we're thinking about. 100 years time or uh, there's a I guess the point of the constitution is that it has got longevity but uh, are we thinking about beyond our lifetime oh, uh, yeah
0: yeah i mean in some ways people would say drafting a constitution richard may want to pick this up is about creating long term but you're sort of saying recognizing long term planning as valuable in itself could be a constitution of value. we don't have democracy because we don't. Because we're always worried about the next vote or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Good. Very good, uh, Alexander. That'll add to the followers. Tweet that. Tweet <laughs> that. Uh, the gentleman, last one, I think. The gentleman further up, hand up again. Yeah. There he is. Yeah.
6: Um, My name is Maurice Panagy-Palmer. I'm a a law student here in my first year. Um, Unfortunately, the Concerned Citizens basically just said what I was going to say, which was um, something about, first of all, uh, protection against hastiness. I think um, anything that might be triggered by the Daily Mail um, and its sort of propaganda should be protected against. Um, Also, maybe sort of I'm thinking about the sort of climate issues, where the coalition's uh, pulling back on those things. Yeah. I'd like to see something in the Constitution that maybe includes an obligation to look after the votes of 40 years' time or something yeah. like that.
0: Okay, well, there's a bit of groundswell for that one. Interesting about the Daily Mail, we get on to esteem, but the way these kind of values would work, for example, if we all agreed that equality of esteem, we're coming up to esteem and dignity and so on, really mattered, then we might end up with... A constitutional proposal which qualifies freedom of the press, which actually is surprisingly relaxed about uh, criminal prosecution for uh, what they would call lack of political correctness. And we might end up with that. So you see how values matter, because values explain how we make tough choices. Uh, do we have a feeling, should we put something in the, should we explore this idea of a commitment to the long term? Or is it, is it inherent in a constitution? Who thinks that should be one of our values? Hands up, broadly, broadly. Not enough, we need a bit more energy. Uh, this is now people just eager to please. It's just that politeness thing that transforms English people into a collection of slow-moving... Uh, yes, enough, Jack, take it down, take it down, that's enough. <laughs> What about this business of uh, acknowledging collective ideas? That's a very material one. Uh, we haven't got it because we've been thinking about individuals. Uh, should we should we have that? Quick feeling. Should we drive a collective element? Hands up. We've got a very enthusiastic one person. Uh, no, you are very but we have very one, two, there's not enough. There isn't enough. Who would say that's just leftist LSE (laughs) claptrap? All right, that's out, Jack, that's out. Conservatism uh, in the sense that we've talked about a principle of conserving resources, a principle which is a presumption of of kind of not breaking things, not fixing things unless you know they're broke. They're feeling that's constitutional quickly, no support, not even, if I may say so, from yourself. You, you've resiled from your own position. Now, this is what we need to be very careful about, if I may say so. The people voting and then forgetting on what side they are. <laughs> All right, very good. Let's go on, let's go on. So, that's, uh, we've got one new one, two new ones. Let's get to what we had uh, on, the, on the website. Does everyone deserve to be treated equally? Now, this is our first one. Does everyone deserve to be treated equally? What's now going on, members of the panel, you're disenfranchised, this is this is like you on election day. All right. It's all happening all over again. I'm a critic. But the important thing is the British man beside you is also not voting. <laughs> They're voting with the gizmo. They're voting with the gizmo. Uh, and the options are yes, no, and undecided. Uh, the responses are coming in, there's 145, 150. <laughs> There's a gizmo behind us, reflecting the number of people who are voting.
3: Maybe not this one. No, it's not. This one,
0: you don't need to consult too widely. This is one you do for yourself in the privacy of your polling booth.
3: You are chatting.
0: Polling is something that does happen privately. (laughs) Not tonight, not tonight, good point, not tonight. Are we nearly there, returning officer? Right, this is a conflation of our equality of esteem and celebration of diversity. So we've turned those into, does everyone deserve to be treated equally? And our votes, our votes are 70% of people say yes, 21% of people say no, and 8% are undecided. So, Carol, surprising 21% of the people in the room say everyone does not deserve to be treated equally.
2: Well, there are a lot of reasons for that, amongst other things, um, that one, as usual with constitutional values, doesn't know what one is talking about. I mean, are you talking about money? Or are you talking about uh, procedures? Are you talking about the right to go to court? It might mean anything, so it's not surprising that 21% of people didn't want to, well, 29% of people didn't really want to uh, to commit the Starting the evening by attacking 70% of the people. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth
1: did you ask me for, otherwise? <laughs> David, what do you think everyone deserves to be treated I, equally? I, I think I think everyone deserves the right to be treated equally under the law. I don't think people, everyone has the right to equal access if they are visiting or are non-citizens or have not earned a particular entitlement and that gets you into the nuances as to why this written constitution is going to be damned hard Mm -hmm. isn't Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. richard speak to me
4: i think that the uh, question of equality can um, is a good example of how a constitution can set up a framework um, listening to Connor about values, it's not just about values, it's about a framework for values. And a framework for equality would, for example, A, contain David's equality before the law, um, but it would also, I think, and certainly in any constitution i want to see, um, provide something uh, like enhanced equality for those who are disadvantaged and vulnerable in our society. The point really being, though, that you can, with a constitution, create a framework which we utterly lack at the moment. Thank you, Leah
3: Yeah, I guess there is a difference between being equal and being treated equally. And so one might say everyone is equal and that's what the universalism premise that we were starting with is saying. And it's different than to say, well, from the fact that everyone is equal, it follows that everyone should be treated equally because people may actually have different needs, different abilities, different features that characterize them. And so they might actually, in order to respect their equality of human beings, you may need to actually treat them unequally. So um, so I would, say, I would say everyone is equal, whether everyone should be treated equally or not. Is Can
1: we just ask Richard about this enhanced equality? What does that mean, Richard? A kind of um, well, David, there's super page,
4: equality? Page 382 of my book falls 100... <laughs> He's pretending it's longer this, than it is. I should be doing this all night. No, what, no what, very quickly. we will not be doing what, this all night. I will. <laughs> what you need in a constitution, amongst other things, is a Bill of Rights. Not the kind of Cameron-type Bill, which essentially subtracts from the Convention, but a, load, a lot of positive economic rights. Read Amartya Sen on ideas, and he will show what enhanced equality means. Right, good. Thank you, dear. We'll stop it there. Because I'm in, what we're going to do, by the way, is we're going to rebook.
0: And so, uh, deliberation, there's a little bit of deliberation coming in uh, and I want to see if there's any changes of vote. For that, you guys have to be a little bit brave and I'm wondering, we've heard a range of views, I'm wondering whether those of you who were thinking no could articulate why you felt, and it's one in five of you, uh, felt that you wanted to say no to that because it's a sort of fixed question, it's slightly fixed isn't it, to produce a certain answer. So, uh, people who said no, why did they say no? Why did they say no? Sir, get us started, thank you very much. Then this gentleman here. And do we have anybody over here? And we have this lady here. So let's get these three very quickly in a row. And think of it in a persuasive way to see if you can move the audience. Name quickly.
8: Hi, my name's Kieran. Uh, I think David touched on it slightly by questioning who everyone is in this uh, principle because uh, there's an argument for positive treatment of people over others um, and then equally there's arguments for slightly negative treatment whether it's something like not voting if you're in prison that's a, an inequality in treatment but it's one that many people would argue is fair.
0: Right good okay is it okay that Leah doesn't vote because she's from where was it from? Albania. Albania.
8: Well I think within the, that's within the definition of who everyone is as in everyone be equal does everyone include only people who are born in Britain who live in Britain who are citizens who are visiting? Yeah. What's your answer to that? Um, I would be tempted to say citizens.
0: Citizens, okay. So I've been voting since I came. I'm Irish. They let us vote, but they don't let her vote. Why is that?
8: Uh, Because we haven't done enough to integrate ourselves properly into the European Union. The answer is is because they tried to
0: cancel the Irish vote, old Lord Goldsmith, and they got terrified of Irish political power. So (laughs) constitutions sometimes are connected to power, I think. There was somebody else here. Well, let's take this lady. Uh, Away you go. Short name first. And there was somebody up there, wasn't there? Yeah. My, my name's Monica Kasnikas. And what, what's your name? Monica Kasnikas. Well, away you go, Monica. Um, the reason why I said no is if you look at the, um, the human rights um, issues and the problems that we're having in this country, because the, the human rights have, uh, have created unintended consequences. And I suspect if we, if we go with um, the... Um, the equality for everybody, We, the same thing might occur again. Right. Thank you very much. We might talk later on as we work it through on what it means to say they've had unintended consequences. Uh, we had one more here, very quickly. Good man. Yes, name?
8: Uh, I'm, I'm Julian. Uh,
9: Julian. I'm just Julian. You're I think Julian, like one of those footballers. You're Julian. The, the, the previous gentleman covered more or less about what I was wanting to say, but can I just ask, this is more of a question, can I ask uh, Mr. Gordon to um, talk about what he means by a framework for values, because that's also what I was interested in.
0: Right, I'm not going to let him speak. Um, he's okay. had enough. He, you can do it in your five minutes, Richard, or a bit later on. Later on. So, we've had the, some of the negatives. Who voted yes and wants to pitch in on behalf of the yes? Anybody want to pitch on it? Have they persuaded you? Has anybody persuaded you? Did you vote yes, sir? I'm sorry. No. Or you just want the microphone? You'll do whatever. <laughs> You'll do whatever it takes to promote you your position. <laughs> What's um, your name?
10: Eddie Brown, I'm uh, campaigning for English Parliament.
0: Oh, um, come on, so, so you were getting the microphone to campaign yes, for the English um, Parliament. Where are you going? One of the things I'd like to say
10: when it comes to equality, when yeah. I mean, you've got to, the Constitution surely, come in with the fact that acknowledge that there are the nations of the UK.
0: That's a good point.
10: And yeah. so actually in doing so, surely you've got to enshrine those, those principles if you want equality. Right.
0: So I think I hear you saying, Eddie, that if we vote for equality of esteem, or whatever it was, we deliver in English Parliament because the Scots have it, the Northern Irish have it. Is that your yeah, point? That's my point. Right, okay, that's a very interesting one. These things do have implications for those of us who draft this thing. Any other comments before we go to the revote, vote Sir, uh, yeah, coming over here. Are you for or again? Um,
10: I, I voted no, but that was uh, the question I wanted to ask was slightly different. Um, yeah. Given that one of the people on the panel is, is actually not um, not British and neither am I, um, and given that we're trying to crowdsource this uh, tonight, I was hoping to understand um, a vote from the audience of how many people here are actually not from Britain, um, b- because it's important to define
0: that audience if we're going to be crowdsourcing right. together. Right, and are you suggesting we disenfranchise people like you and me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> will find out. The British have always got some foreign guy to do their dirty work for <laughs> them. <laughs> Hands up who's not British. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So many did. Oh, right, I, many. Think,
10: British, I think that was an important British. definitional point.
0: I don't care. You're all part of it. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Isn't that amazing? It's fantastic. I love LSE. I love LSE.
5: Uh,
0: We've got Patrick Dunleavy. You're English, aren't you, Patrick? Don't let me down. Don't let me down. Born in Halifax. This is an enthusiast who's still English. It's all right, sir. We've got it, Okay, You are. We need to go back to the vote. We've had some deliberation. This is one of four votes. Can you now vote again whether you've been persuaded or not? I want to see the stats. I want to see what they are after that. Responses running up toward the 186. <coughs> Polling station is still open. Some of you are getting in from work. Are moving your finger towards it. Polling station must be nearly closed. Wow, this is dramatic, David. 46% now say yes. 43% 43% say no, and 11% undecided. Mm. Fascinating, the power of deliberation. Don't so you political science theory? <laughs> that, I mean, not political science. Oh, you're always so specialist, aren't they? I don't know what you are, <laughs> academic or something. Right, so we've got a record of that. Uh, our drafters are going to approach equality of esteem with a degree of trepidation, because that is not an absolute majority. And it may well, work through into the constitution itself. David, five minutes, possibly less, on on the on, on constitution of values and what's the most important thing in, in, in the whole thing?
1: Well, my fundamental element would be something that would apply to those who were citizens and those who weren't. And it would be the fundamental protection of the state for people physically and in terms of their mental well-being and what i mean by that is that they would be entitled to the same protections in the home on the street protection from violence protection from pornography uh, protection from terrorism that the state could achieve and states that do not deliver that are dysfunctional and dysfunctional states whatever the constitutional rights that might have been laid out don't actually work and therefore the constitution is meaningless. In states where protection is not offered the rights and entitlements under the law disappear and where those rights disappear and the laws not functioning then a constitution uh, cannot be carried through. My. The proviso here is that this is about an unwritten as well as a written constitution. We partly have a written constitution in terms of incorporating the European Convention on Human Rights into the Human Rights Act, but actually the protection that we get from constitutional elements of that sort are dependent on access to lawyers. Now this is where, Richard, uh, I have a problem because if people's ability to enforce those rights are not dependent on democratic processes and therefore engagement And participation in politics and the ability to remove and not just deliver a government, remove a government. Because I argued this in 2010 when we could have just about hung on with some sort of cobbled together rainbow coalition. I believe that we'd lost the election and democracy is about losing and not just winning. You have to rely on democracy to do that. So you have to have for your basic protections a democratically functioning state in which your rights are not just secured by the money you have to buy lawyers to be able to take your case through. I think one of the most wicked things that the present government are doing is actually taking away people's basic right to access the law. And it gets very little attention because people like me have got so aggravated in the past with lawyers, we've forgotten that they are actually essential, but not for the implementation of a constitution, but to ensure that those rights can be articulated and people can be protected. Abraham Lincoln, in his letter to the Democrats in Albany, when he was taking on the Confederates and there was was disarray and there was many revolutions breaking out, was very instrumental on this, namely that if you're going to win, you actually do need to ensure that you protect people from those who would take your life, your liberty or your well-being away and that means that the state has to take those measures which in other circumstances it wouldn't want to take. So that, Conor, is in essence my belief and it protects the equality of people against abuse, domestic violence, children's... Uh, pornography and, and intrusion and uh, the, the kind of things that we see all often against children because without it it's a free-for-all and there are people in politics who believe that the internet has somehow changed the terms of reference and that we can have a free-for-all so my protection would be protections from others who would take away our well-being not just in Physical sense, but in cyberspace as well. Fantastic, thanks David.
0: Go on. There uh, this is related because we're trying to run together a human security and the protection of freedoms into the next question. And what we've decided to frame it as is should the state be responsible for ensuring a minimum standard of living? David, should the state be responsible for that?
1: The state should be responsible for giving every individual a chance to be able to earn and develop their standard of living, not to hand it down to them. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Uh, You can vote on this one. Please get
0: cracking. And we'll weave comments in on what David has said on security as well as on this. Should the State be responsible for ensuring a minimum standard of living? This is your first of two votes on this. Yes, A, B is no and C is undecided. The responses are up around the
5: 200
0: mark. Uh, polling is closed and the yeses are 65%, 65%, the noes are 23%, the undecideds 12 so 65% yes. Uh, Richard, coming in on what you heard from David and responding to that, Uh, weaving the two in Uh, is David right to put sort of protection of the people if I may paraphrase it so central and is this something which you would vote for and if so why Um,
4: yes and yes I uh, I would vote for um, minimum standard but it has to be uh, obviously tailored to resources to state resources so it may be impossible for the state certain states to provide minimum standard because it simply doesn't have the resources and it well, it's, it could be almost as vacuous as the um, right to pursue happiness in one of the constitutions but nonetheless I do essentially subscribe to everything David said and I'll try to explain later why I think he's wrong to draw a distinction between access to lawyers, access to courts and, uh, and, and, and as it were marginalising the role of lawyers to that I think it's, they play a part also in, the, uh, in drafting constitutions Yeah, Carol, Deserving and undeserving <clears throat> where would you be on this one?
2: On that one i Would like to see a minimum standard guaranteed, but not necessarily in the constitution, because it reminds me of one of my least favourite constitutional law cases, or human rights cases, in which judges were asked to decide whether someone living in a car park and washing in an inadequate public toilet had minimum standards. And so I I can see that. Did you win? No, naturally, he lost, and um, uh, so I would support David's idea that we should actually be getting on with that and not worrying so much about it being in a constitution. It's a political, it's a political, (laughs) quick. Um, The constitutional value um, of that is usually said to be security, that people want security. And I've watched a really interesting debate developing over what security means. For some people, that that value, it it does mean minimum standards and so on and so forth. But it's coming increasingly to mean uh, no freedom uh, for terrorism. Yeah,
0: yeah. Leah, uh is this something proper for a constitution or yeah, is this a pipe
3: dream? No, I would, I would absolutely support that. I would only say that it reads to me very much like a distributive principle and my view is that it doesn't make much sense to talk only about distributive principles. One should also think about the way distributive principles come about and so how they're produced and the structure of property entitlements that is behind a certain system of distribution. So it would make sense very much to have that discussion but I do think what also belongs in the constitution is a question of property rights and how property entitlements are distributed and so on.
0: Okay. So Right, right. Is this the kind of collective thing that our socialist guy with the small s wants, guaranteed minimum standards? Quite a lot of you want that, Uh, without regard to economic context, 65% of you. So could those of you who want that defend it? I mean, for example, does it mean that the Constitution should determine what the government should do in the context of an economic crisis? Would people be comfortable with that? Is that what you mean when you want to guarantee this? slightly aggressive question maybe. Would you want to defend it? Yeah, uh, microphone over here. This gentleman here. You voted yes, did you? Minimum standards,
8: good man. Tell us who you are and tell us why. My name's Tom, I'm Tom Henderson. I'm a junior barrister. Um, I oh, hey, barrister, you don't want to put that word junior in. You're a barrister. <laughs> it does Give have a, a meaning bit. in the context. <laughs> I think a lot of people who voted no on this um, are buying into the idea that Uh, People who are poor in this country are doing it um, out of a choice somehow, that they somehow deserve, because of their life decisions, to be there. The reason that I voted yes is because I don't believe in this fiction. Uh, And (laughs) I think where I'm going with this uh, is that in an economic crisis... It is again a fiction to say that the government couldn't support, for example, someone living in a multi-storey car park. uh, When in fact, the issue is about taxation of big corporations.
0: So, Osborne, Mr. Osborne, should have to say, I would like to do policies A, B and C, because we have this terrible economic crisis. And now, argue do we have it, but I can't do it, ladies and gentlemen, because of the Constitution. You're comfortable with that? You're a lady beside you, though you're monopolizing, but she's very close. Quickly, your name. Are you also a junior, junior barrister?
7: No, I'm Helen Schofield. I'm an undergraduate doing social policy.
0: Doing social policy, not a junior barrister. Do you agree that that should be in the Constitution?
7: on on the very basis level, whatever you want to do economically, if people are living in the street, don't have food, that should be your very first thing. That's the point of government, is to protect the people.
0: The point of government is to protect the
1: people. uh,
0: Yes, David. In the,
11: in the past,
1: if we'd had a written constitution, it would have been the reverse that was written into yes. it, namely property. property rights. And the moment you started to take away from those who had those rights built into the constitution, because that's what they would have done, you'd have actually been breaching the constitution in helping the person with minimum rights that you're arguing for. So it's an interesting, isn't it? Yes. And it's yeah, it's actually. Thank uh, you, we'll get to this with Karen in a minute.
0: Uh, it's about the flexibility or inflexibility of a political system. A lot of you voted for it, though, and we're going to have a re-vote. So I want to hear some good arguments for it. I want to hear some more good arguments for it. Why you voted? You have you spoken already? Are you are you the socialistic guy? Well, you're allowed back in. This is a big moment for you. This is <laughs> this is a big moment. You don't have to tell us who you are again. You can shoot straight in. Just I am so, the socialist guy. I am the socialist. Yes, go. I, I
6: come from far away, and um, I, so it's about a, a commitment to hard values on the one hand and soft values on the other. And you have. Um, I think it's the Indian constitution has these kind of hazily, um, the, these, these values that they conceive of in hazy terms which are supposed to inform the general interpretation. And so what I'm essentially arguing for is that there's a general redistributive character to the constitution that um, undermines the obscene inequality that happens under an individualized liberal system. Um, and that doesn't have to be enforceable in uh, rigid black letter terms, but it does have to remain um, part of the underlying spirit of a constitution. Um, that, it, that it is simply unacceptable that you can have rising inequality during a financial crisis when people are being kicked out of their okay. homes. You don't, have to, you don't have to entrench that really rigidly to, to maintain a commitment to it at the constitutional right. level.
0: It's a fantastically helpful intervention, Frank, because it's about values. So it's not as I characterised it or caricatured it. It's about what we are committed to as a society which then informs our laws. So it, it properly inhibits rather than vetoes. That's, that's right. This uh, gentleman up here, uh, the microphone's going to need to be moved. And we need to have gender dis- uh, diversity here. The guys are taking over. Uh, we have a lady there with amazing male support right behind her. So we go, we go straight up to you. Well, I know the chap behind you. I don't know if you know him. He does that sort of thing arbitrarily to people he's never met. So Bernard, name, name yes. who you are in remark.
9: Uh, my name is Bernard Keenan. I'm a PhD student in the law department. And I was formerly a, a solicitor. Um, I would just make a simple point. I've, I voted in favor of this. And I think that basically people aren't going to be politically enfranchised if they're hungry. Um, if you're worried about feeding your children, if you're worried about where you're going to live, uh, then democratic rights to vote and engage in a wider political process are are more or less meaningless at the minute in the uk it's quite clear that people who have excessive wealth have excessive political power the vote uh, is i wouldn't say it's meaningless but it's greatly diminished and so i think by providing a certain minimum economic uh, standard uh, you actually enable a wider democratic process to to be meaningful.
0: Thanks, Perrin. The last one before we go to the vote, the lady, no Rob, not you. It wasn't you, it was the lady in front of you. Stop pretending it was you. Yes, (laughs) madam, apologies the chap behind you. Yes, Uh, name
7: uh, and comment. uh, My name is Erin, I'm an LLM student here as well, uh, and I've practiced in London and in New Zealand, where we also have an unwritten constitution, so I'm quite interested in this discussion. Um, But I I would add that I, I did vote yes in that last question, but I thought the question wasn't poorly phrased, because you, oh, did, gosh, you didn't ask, <laughs> you didn't ask, should this be part of the constitution? You asked, do I think, that, do, do I think there should be a minimum standard provided by the government? And, okay. uh, and yes, I think there should be a minimum standard, but no, I don't think it should be in the constitution. So it's a difficult okay. question to ask.
0: Okay, right, fair point, fair point. If that happened to Thomas Jefferson, there'd be no American constitution. I mean, people don't. But that's a very, very good point. We're gonna vote again, we're gonna vote again. Can you now vote? Uh, Can we go over it again? Uh, Should the state be responsible via the Constitution as a general value for ensuring a minimum standard of living? Can we do the voting? Polling open, please. Vote, vote, vote. We're nearly at the 200-plus mark. We're over 200. Must be near closure. And yes has gone up. Yes has gone up. 65%. I think it's gone up. My mind's a sim. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same. 65%, 30%, 6%. You're just, your minds are wandering. You're daydreaming. You're not listening to the debate. That's the risk of deliberation. What's up? The no's are up. The no's are up by 7%. Okay, very good. Uh, Make a note of that. This, I think we can approach, this is a big thing. We can, as drafters, approach this minimum standard, identified by Frank and Bernard and others of you, with a degree of confidence, actually. That's that's over two-thirds, nearly two-thirds. Next, uh, Carol, you've got five minutes, rather less possibly, on trying to flesh out your opposition to the written constitution as an idea. We've heard a little bit about the difficulties. David identified some. You've got the floor.
2: Right, well, I should tell you that Connor gave me five minutes to present a case against a constitution, and he asked me to do it badly, and I'm sure I'm well capable of that. <laughs> so I put together five reasons, as that seemed the sensible thing to do. My first one is that constitutions tend to be elitist, as uh, David said earlier, and often deliberately anti-democratic so that they are for the people, but they are never, except in this uh, assembly, by the people. And my big example of that would be the failed European Union Constitution, which declared itself to be democratic because for once it had a few representatives of national parliaments on the drafting team my second reason is that i honestly believe that constitutions need a constitutional moment as i said on the web there are moments when it's really important for a a society to state its values for example when we all put together the convention on human rights at the end of the Second World War. And in a way, some of those statements are negative because they are saying this that we've been doing is terrible and we have to do the opposite of it. And I think that is the type of constitutional moment. Otherwise, there's the sort of disagreement that was coming up in the polling, but which has recently in Britain been illustrated in the attempt to draft a British Bill of Rights which proved completely intractable and the people asked to do it just split up in despair and said, uh, well, we can't do it. I would say that our institutions are well embedded and that they can be amended and have been very much amended in the past 20 years quite easily and that that's actually an advantage of them. I would also say that we're at a crossroads at the moment. We don't know where we're going. We've got some daft referendum on the EU, daft because it's so long into the future that I personally will probably be dead before it happens. (laughs) And we've also got the question of Scottish independence on the agenda, and I don't see this as a good moment to draft a constitution. My third reason is that the wrong things inevitably get into constitutions. Again, David has just illustrated that with the question of property rights, but they're not easily removed and I would use the example without bothering to expand on it of the gun law in the United States, which was probably extremely sensible when the United States Constitution was drafted. Reason four is the opposite, that the right things just don't get into constitutions. Constitutions very rarely have the one that you've all voted overwhelmingly for. They don't have economic and social rights necessarily in them and the sort of things that have not been in the constitution in the past and in which the the constitution has actually stood as a barrier uh, to making very important amendments, again in the United States, slavery which didn't feature uh, in the constitution and the constitution became a barrier to establishing proper civil rights. Women's rights seldom got into constitutions and both courts and politicians set their minds against them. The sort of methods that are used for uh, amending constitutions are naturally rather difficult to use I mean that's part of why people make constitutions referendums which I prefer to call referenda because I'm so old actually are very difficult because uh, they invariably get a no answer, a vote for the status quo and um, when they're majorities in the parliament that uh, gives me my elitist reason against constitutions and my last reason is that constitutions in my view And as I'm a lawyer, I can't be so anti-lawyer as some of us can. But constitutions, in my view, shift the balance of power too far in favor of courts and the judiciary via the process of constitutional review. I greatly admire the German Constitution (laughs) and the German Constitutional Court, but I don't think I want a constitutional court like that. Uh, It gives judges too much power to fill in gaps as as they see them and either to update things in a way that I personally might not have wanted and the public might not have wanted. Great, great Um, stuff. Thank you very much.
0: From Carol, and we're going to hear from Richard shortly when we've done our next vote on the case for a written constitution. And we will have one vote on that later. So I want you to park those arguments and bear them in mind when we have a brief discussion towards the end, uh, which will be, you know, 35 minutes or so away. Next vote is. Uh, This is the complicated but very, very important issue on which we drafters need guidance. We've had it anticipated a bit with the chap who's pushing for the England Assembly. And a a fancy word for it is subsidiarity. Uh, But it's actually quite an important principle about a constitutional principle. Where should stuff be decided? Should it be parliament? Should it be regional assemblies? Are they national-based? Should it be local? And indeed, some of my friends, uh, who would think of themselves as kind of coherent anarchists, would say it should be much more community than that. I want you to take a view. It's a kind of slightly complicated question, but it's one which the constitutional drafters need guidance on. Now, please, national, local, other, or I don't know. Just do your polling. You're getting better at polling. It's going faster. Nearly over over the 200 mark. At which level is politics most effective? And a very tight poll. National, 36%, uh, local, 22%, other, 20%, on which more in a moment, and undecided, 22%. uh, And a plurality for national. David, you ran Sheffield City Council, I think, uh,
1: city Council? Yeah, I, was sort of, of, I, I was a sort of syndicalist at the time. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know well, what that means, look it up in Richard's book. Um, You've uh, had experience of both, national and local. Yes, and I believe very strongly still in local. I think we should devolve as much as we can to people, not just at, say, city council or county level, but actually into neighbourhoods and to try and get people involved. It's a pipe dream, but I'm allowed a pipe dream these days Uh, I used to dream things and they turned out to be the nightmare of being there actually implementing them uh, in government but now I've got these dreams and one of them is that we will actually be able to give people real say over their immediate lives now that obviously can't apply with kind of the very big issues that we're dealing with and protection uh, from terrorism the international issues that we debate but the more we can get down to a level where people understand what's going on and that They are saying it, the more democratic we'll be. Okay, so you'd be broadly on
0: the local side, actually, if you were asked this. Politics is most effective locally. Did something in the constitution, your constitution, get in on this, Richard, or did you leave it the issue?
4: Uh, No, no, I do deal with it, where I mean, it is undoubtedly, uh, in my opinion, uh, a principle that uh, we should have more local power, and that's one of the the things I go for. But obviously, um, different areas. Of national activity require different forms of, um, or, you know, of decision making. Yeah. Some local, some national. Yeah, yeah,
3: Leah? yeah. I think I would actually go for a combination of the three, and I would include under C global. I mean, I think that's a very important part: the uh, capacity of states and yeah. the willingness of states to actually reduce some of their power, rather than just concentrate it all. So I would say that depending on the issue, all these three levels would be really important. Yeah, can, can quickly, quickly go
2: to the audience? I would say that it's horses for courses and that you can't actually um, generalize about it because some things do have to be done at a higher a level and not at local level. But as someone who is working with a group of Dutch people on lawmaking and rulemaking outside the state, I do not wish us to get rid of our democratic powers in an upward direction.
0: Right, uh, those of you who said other, were you I thinking, think we're right. one in five of you, were you thinking of global? Were you thinking European? Were you thinking supranational? Hands up, some of the one in five. Madam, the microphone, anybody else? One in five of you said other. There's another other, <coughs> get down to this other other. And we take the first other, other.
7: Other, Um, I... Now
0: remember what you said this time, don't forget it.
7: I I I remembered last time I was quoting somebody else, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Um, I voted other because I think that um, there are instances where you need different levels, for example, international humanitarian law to come in and affect things, um, rather than just local. And I think that politics works most effective, would work most effectively, if all of the different levels were able to communicate and transfer information successfully. Thank you. Sir, name and comment.
8: Uh, My name's Ed. Um, I think decisions should be taken at the level um, of the group that they affect. So, for example, prisoners' rights if it's a national, decided on a national level that should be taken at the national level um, but decisions to with the single market at the european level
0: thank you an interesting one about minimum standards would they be local or would they be national how do these values interact but thank you sir
12: anything other than other leaves so much out the arabs believe the quran makes their law they're entitled to believe that the American Civil War. Nobody wanted to alter the Constitution until long after the war broke out. It broke out over a feeling and so on. There are innumerable ways in which constitutions can be overthrown or altered Mm -hmm. by simply the feelings of people. Mm
0: -hmm. Would you have a feeling for local government or global government? (laughs) You haven't told us who you are, so I don't need to know that anymore. It's too late. But tell us, where does your intuition take you?
12: Where does my intuition take me? Global,
0: local, national?
12: It took me into the House of Commons.
0: <laughs> you have not said who you are. Which is national. So you're an MP. Were an MP, are an MP, want to be an MP? I was for 19 years. Yes. I feel like an interrogator. In a... <laughs> <laughs> who are you? <laughs>
12: One of the 6,000 million irrelevant
0: people. (laughs) (laughs) He's carrying, ladies and gentlemen, the Guardian, from which I have deduced. Is that fair? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Would anybody get rid of the central government and go global, regional, and local? Because, you know, we have an MP here. Did you feel you achieved anything? (laughs) I'm not going to ask David Bockett. I get a a list,
12: but I mean, only individuals themselves can decide whether they're benefited.
0: Did you achieve? Historians try and write about it. Did you achieve, David, in Parliament as opposed to Sheffield? Where do you think you achieved most? (laughs) Other. Right, let's take another vote, let's take another vote. Uh, Think hard, not about the contradictions here, think about where you prefer, where you emotionally feel it belongs. The level of government, of course there are contradictions, of course there are drafting problems, but where in a constitution we should guide decision makers. Please vote, Uh, at which level is politics most effective? The Irish voted just the other day by a referendum to so keep it's
5: their seat. Well and, an
0: and polling so has produced a strong other a strong other for 35% Mr. Blunkett's rhetorical skill, the Delphic other, utterance. It's a bit like that movie, you know, where you become the world leader because you say other. Uh, National, 29%. Local, 23%. Undecided, 12%. The drafters will be aware of drift. Obviously, there's going to be Twitter responses. People are going to see this in downloads. We're going to build something in, but this will drive the next stage of the process. So that is a a significant move in the course of the deliberation. Richard, uh, we've had, if I may say so, uh, a well set out argument against a written constitution. You've written on the blog, and Carol mentioned it. David, all our colleagues have written short little essays on the blog, not long, annotated, boring things, short little bite-sized versions of what they're saying here. So don't look at it on Constitution UK. Richard. What has led you, five minutes, to believe so strongly in a written constitution, perhaps dealing with some of what Carol said, but it's over to you, five minutes.
4: Thanks, Connor. Well, what got me um, interested at all in politics, I was very apolitical until very recently, was the um, 2009 expenses crisis, which I have to say enraged me to such an extent that I went out and thought, I've got to draft a constitution to stop these scoundrels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not waiting for the next election. Uh, And that's broadly what I did in a a sort of white heat. And as I say in this piece on the blog, it brought back to me my Catholic childhood where I was told that the Pope was infallible. And it was a bit like parliamentary sovereignty. He could do no wrong. And it was only much later that I discovered that infallibility is a 19th century doctrine. So I thought, well, that's a bit of a con trick. And then I began thinking, well, what about parliamentary sovereignty? Is that actually a legitimate concept? Or is it, as I now believe, a, a giant confidence trick? Um, well now, just dealing very briefly with um, Carol's points, she mentioned five and I need only make one answer to them. I mean, she said things like, uh, constitutions can get, become elitist. She said the wrong things can get into constitutions and all this is true and I found myself nodding, not nodding off but nodding, until it occurred to me uh, Surely that just depends on what you put into your constitution, it depends on how you draft it, and it depends on what the process of drafting contains. Uh, The same point is true of David's thing about property, you just put in a clause which qualifies the property right in the way that you want it qualified. But the point is this, we believe in our courts, I think, because we believe in the rule of law. What is it we believe when we think about our system of government. Or let me put another question to you, which I put to to myself. What is it that we allow, why do we allow other people to rule over us, to govern us? And I want an answer to that question. The answer can't be the electoral system, because nobody voted for this electoral system. It was given to us by government. The answer could be parliamentary sovereignty, except that it isn't. It doesn't have a respectable historical base, and it doesn't have a respectable democratic base. Nobody has ever voted for parliamentary sovereignty. The idea that Parliament can make or unmake any law that it wishes, which is what Dicey said in the late 19th century, it can make any law it wants, it can trample on any rights we have, because it, and only it, gives us the right. It can take away a constitution by legislation. Where on earth, why on earth, did that doctrine come in, and why on earth do we subscribe to it? If, as I believe, parliamentary sovereignty is a myth and an evil, we have to get rid of it. And you can only get rid of it in a a codified constitution. Because if you have a constitution that retains parliamentary sovereignty, the repeal of the Constitution Act 2014 can take away what has been given only by a written constitution which abolishes parliamentary sovereignty and gives uh, authority to the people, as of course the American Constitution does, do you have legitimacy and something you can believe in. That's why I believe in a written constitution.
0: Great stuff. Thank you very much. (laughs) Now, two powerful cases put. I want you to retain them. We're going to come back to them and then we're going to have a vote on that. But we have one more vote. And we have one more vote, which is actually quite, one, in some ways the most interesting one, because we want to capture values which are sometimes difficult. And I don't want you to leave this room thinking this is a liberal fix, that we're all carrying our guardians in our hearts and in our heads. What is the primary unit in our society? This is family, individual, other, collective, we'll, we'll unpick what it means. Undecided. I want you to think about the role of the family. I come from a country where the Constitution included specific commitment to family. The Conservative Party is, and this may be back to you on conserving, is actually prioritizing family, you know, with tax breaks. And so there is an important point here about family. What I mean by family, let's face it, we're looking at conventional family. We're looking at traditional family as opposed to alternative versions. So vote on this and then let's have a discussion on it. What is the primary unit in our society? Family, the individual, other undecided. Other might be broad-based family. I don't have confusion. Other might be gay marriage. Might be uh, open to adoption of same-sex couples, etc. Family means tradition. So let's let's see how we're doing. We're nearly there. I might go straight to the group on this one, and then take our panel. Now, there's a few whistles in the audience. Family, 21%. One in five of you thinks family. Nearly half of you think the individual. And 21% of you other. 12% undecided. Hands up, people who said family. Family. Well, right, I'm, I'm gonna pick out a friend of mine up here. Uh, Benjamin, I'm walking in your direction. A microphone is following. Uh, You want to tell people who you are, Benjamin, and tell me why you're boarded family. Microphone's coming. I'm landing you on this, but I know you can do it. Uh, Tell us a bit of the backstory.
13: Uh, My name's uh, Benjamin. I'm a local councillor in uh, Ealing Borough, and Professor Gearty is kindly helping me out with a uh, legal case I'm having against the council in regards to the right to free speech and of how frank a local politician can be when discussing local issues. Uh, We've got a case in the High Court for an oral application for a judicial review to decide whether or not my right to free speech was infringed because of comments I made on a personal blog. So that's the background. I chose family because all the research seems to indicate that the family unit is the strongest unit for fostering decent human beings. Now, the family's changed, and that can encompass all different types of variations, but as human beings we require a certain amount of love and support that we can't get from any other group other than those closest to us, and that is why I feel family now and going forwards will always be the most important unit.
0: Thanks, Benji. Did you want to say what party? I didn't want to fix you on that. You want to keep that quiet, do you?
13: Well, I'm not a liberal democrat. Put it that way.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, how do we feel about that quite strong assertion? Thank you, Benji. You're very well put about family. You're going to react to what we've just heard. Anybody else want to react to it? Put the pizzey case for individual. I'm looking around for a bit of any, anybody who's. Uh, there, this gentleman here, it's a lot of, and there's a the lady, so we'll take the lady afterwards, and then we'll take you, sir. Yeah, you, and then because the in society, you and you. How did you vote, who you are, and what's the response to what we heard from Benjamin?
4: Uh, my name's Albert Sampson. I voted for the individual. And I think, I don't disagree with, with, what, with what the gentleman said about the family being very important in conditioning individuals, but it's ultimately up to the individual. Uh, as his own agent in society to accept values that he uh, is with. In this particular context when we're talking about the Constitution I think the Constitution is fundamentally about relationships. You can't write a Constitution for families. What you're establishing is the relationship of an individual with the state and so for that reason I think at this time and this place you have to say that the individual is the most okay. important.
0: Alright, thank you very much. And the gentleman right behind you and then the lady up here. Sir. Name and comment on this yes. family uh, issue. John Strafford, um, author of *Our Fight for, for Democracy*, uh, and I was undecided on this issue as I've been undecided on all the questions um, because. Uh, <laughs> well, we
5: won't read your book. Any time, too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should. Maybe you should read the book. Um,
0: uh, David Blanket uh, said that uh, a, a constitution requires uh, a democratic functioning state. Uh,
4: And and that situation requires an established rule of law. And rule of law requires clarity. And there's no clarity in values. We've had no definition of equality, of minimum standard of living, of effective, of primary unit. In other words, this is academic froth that we've been talking about tonight, and nothing is going to come out of it. When did this
0: academic froth start, just now or earlier? It started right at the beginning of the meeting Radio, thank you very much, you got me back, well done, well done Stop applauding him! the first round of applause for the contribution. Well done. And the lady here. Are you responding to the family? We want some, you know, family often the woman's place in the home, etc. Not from Benjamin, but who hey. are you? And your comment.
14: I'm Jodie. I'm a second year sociology and social policy undergraduate. Um, and I'm quite critical of the idea that the family is the functional unit in society. Um, we've seen divorce rates rising um, and I feel kind of it's quite a negative thing for a state to s- suggest that the family is important and it should be sort of central because for a lot of in a lot of cases families don't work and um, there's a lot of, sort of a, there's a quite a big dark side to the family um and for people who are within families where that's the case it can if, if you're being told that you should be happy and you should be functional um, it can be very destructive for the individuals within the, within the family. So I feel like families can also be very trapping, and so I, yeah. I kind of struggle Wild with the it. idea of
0: it. Thank you, thank you very much. Very good. Have we another, have we another family rep over here? Because this really is quite an important debate. Idea. Will we be promoting <laughs> oh a different version of the family? Will we be supporting what we've just heard? <clears> Benjamin, anybody persuaded? Any other argument before we go back to the vote?
1: Do you want to start with Go First? Pardon?
0: Yes, I do actually. I forgot entirely about you. Uh, Where are you on? It's very easy, really. (laughs) And then we go to the vote. Yeah. Okay. Right. Four of you very quickly on this one.
1: Okay. As far as the Constitution is concerned, it's got to be the individual because rights and duties can only be imposed or empowered on an individual but in terms of the way you put it although you were pejorative about saying the Tories wanted to give tax relief so that was a really bad start Connor Um, in, in terms of building blocks for society and bearing in mind There can be disastrous families. Actually, the building block of any civilised society is the family. It has to be. In all its guises, sisters, brothers, children, uncles, aunts, the people who are there when other people have walked away. And I really hope... That the young lady who just spoken has a better experience in future. Yeah. Seriously.
0: Thank you. Well, I think she was sociologically sad. detaching yourself from your comment, weren't you? Well, I hope so. Uh, so it's it's important, but it's important, but, it's it's important but not constitutional. That's sort of yeah. what you say, right, yeah. Carol?
2: When someone asks me that question, I put down the telephone and say I don't take cold calling. Because I know only what I feel about that, and it is not a constitutional issue. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Richard. Agree, yeah. Richard.
4: Um, we need to look for the foundational value in society. It's obviously something that isn't even in the Convention. It's autonomy. We're all human beings. We are autonomous. That's what we aspire to. The family is criti- critically important, but I agree with David that you can't... You can't start from that value. And what I also think is that when we are talking about academic froth, it seems to me that only a codified constitution can address that because through the fashioning of the constitution, the public process in participating, and ultimately, if you have a citizen's branch, the citizens triggering policies as well, you cease to have academic froth and you begin to fashion values.
0: Thank you, Richard. Uh, The vote again, guys, uh, on this quite critical one. uh, And I did spin it a bit, you're right, David. I didn't want much confusion. We didn't have confusion. Vote again. What is the primary unit in our society? And implied in that is this guiding the constitutional drafters. Don me from Halifax did something with tremendous aggression. I'd love to know what it was.
5: <laughs>
0: uh, you will have voted undecided, sir. <laughs> he hasn't made his mind up on whether to vote undecided. You're quite right. Uh, where are we going? We're nearly there, folks. We're, this is nearly over. This is, we're into the Leah and then the written constitution, then we're out of here. Uh, we're up towards the 200 mark. It's nearly over. Uh, let's see how the vote goes. And, individual has leaped ahead. Individual has leaped ahead. Benjamin, I'm sorry about that. Uh, 71%, a 24% rise. And family has plummeted almost to joining the undecided gentleman over here at the 6%. It's at 13%. This, you know, all right, you might say to us that is a very, very glib deliberation, but glib deliberations can sometimes be echoed in longer discourses. And we will obviously look at it but this is a dramatic, perhaps of the evening, the most dramatic shift of opinion in the whole constitutional process. We'll have the Twitters, the Twitterers, and we'll have the Facebook people and everything later, but this is a guide. The final presentation uh, from our fourth panelist, a lot has been said about lawyers. It's been very important. We've had two lawyers, and David has a strong view on law. We have a. Not a, I'm terrified now, what are you? You're not a political scientist, I thought you were, but no. you're something no. far grander. A
3: political philosopher. A political philosopher.
0: Something else is going on, did you see that? The meaning of existence. I thought only in the LSE would you have this in one room and the meaning of existence in another. <laughs> You've got five minutes on this. I think it's the process and deliberation and what we gain from it. Leah. I
3: guess I, I can connect to the previous two talks about Please. you know, the pros and cons on the Constitution. I mean, I take the point that one of the most critical questions in um, asking this question is whether a constitution can remain democratic. I mean, on the one hand, the constitution is paradigmatically democratic and, you know, it specifies who the people are and it starts with we the people and so on. And in other ways, it's uh, extremely exclusionary because once it's specified who the people are, then whoever is not part of the people at the point in which there is a constitutional moment remains excluded. So I'm extremely sensitive to this question of how do we make sure that the constitution being democratic at its origin remains democratic in the process And I think the way in which you can uh, probably achieve that, although I'm not 100% sure because it's kind of up for deliberation as well, is by thinking about what opportunities for political agency does a constitution specify. And so the principle of representative government, which is the one that is in, in in the draft that we now have, is of course one extremely important source of political agency. But I think it's exclusionary in many ways. For once, it's limited to citizens. It's limited to citizens who elect representatives. It's limited to aggregating votes rather than having people deliberate which is what we've been just doing this evening and so I would say that it would be very important to have in specifying opportunities for political agency not just representative government but also forms of deliberative governance that's to say fora where citizens can just come together and discuss proposals that either affect them or that they just have a say want to have a say on or that they take an interest in and so I would say that um, as I say complementing representative institutions with deliberative institutions would go a very long way towards preserving the potential for democratic renewal within a kind of democratic political community and a constitution that does specify that would be very promising. Um, yeah. yeah. Great, Leah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now,
0: that was uh, a perfect summation. Uh, because what we move to now some questions and comments, and then we vote, and then I just say various things and we go. What we move to now is this question of guidance on the kind of project we're in. Because the next vote is, and we're only having one, this is not a deliberative one, we would have the discussion before, then we'll have the vote, is don't vote yet. Can you stop them voting? Go back. go back now. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you, Jack. Is <laughs> what should the project be after? Are we going to be doing values, principles, guidance that we then, through a convention, input into the process, which might guide legislation, which might guide uh, reform? Or are we here, with Richard, in seeking to deliver to our colleagues in government a draft constitution? We're not going to involve ourselves in a coup de to tower, an informal putsch. The idea is, at the end, we might seek... Uh, a debate in Parliament on a, the draft constitution, we might input in other ways. So the project carries on, but the nature of the project depends on this vote. I'm not going to ask for votes, I'm going to ask people for comments, or I think exceptionally, questions, points of clarification from our colleagues on the points they've made on this question, with which we're ending tonight, do we need a written constitution? Madam, you've got, now you need to wait for this thing, and you need to remember to give me your name and it's a question or an observation at this point. And then we have this gentleman over here and we have this gentleman. We're gonna move pretty briskly, but Madam, away you go.
11: My name is Claudine, I'm from the Occupy Movement. Um, I believe strongly in actually ground up movements to actually con- to have any constitutional change because all you'll actually ever have is, you know, a tinkering at the, you know, reforming or whatever everybody else wants to do. I don't think. I think it's very important to actually have systems in place where local people make decisions that actually impact them, and actually move those to the to the the lowest possible. Yeah. So you need to actually make sure that you you get people to actually make decisions, and from then you can actually put it forward to say this is what we want to actually yeah. change. In you know we want to change the constitution. Um, having looked at actually at, at the you know, the people that are here, not not to actually sound uh, disparaging, but I think it's actually quite consciously are people that are here are intellectuals or people that actually want to be intellectuals. So... (laughs) 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 Most most of the time is that the, the people that actually are impacted negatively by decisions that are made by politicians or anybody else are not always participating right. in, in this thing, so I would think okay. we need to think people the assemblies, forums that actually people can make decisions
0: Let me tell, that's brilliant that's brilliant. Let me tell you this that we are planning uh, however this last vote goes we 're planning visits to we have already organized them, and we 're hoping to take film, and we 're hoping to put it on the web to uh, our teenage moms who have, in a Bradford, I think it is. In where? Derby, Derby. Bradford, Darby. Uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I mean, that looks, shows a kind of casualness. I know, sorry. We'll come to you on English in a minute. Uh, we're going to go to the homeless. We're going to go to the asylum seekers. Because part of what this is, is about broadening the meaning of the crowd, you know? And of course, you're right. Here, this is a daunting environment for people to come to. But we want to roll out this project and actively seek people who do not think that they have something to say. And often, they're the people who have most to say. So I want you to bear that in mind. The process is acutely conscious of what you said, acutely conscious. Gentlemen, we've heard from you, this is going to be, I want it because I want it, a free England.
10: Okay, fair Um One of the questions I, I have to ask um, David and and Richard, actually, for the Constitution to work, we have to acknowledge that actually the UK is made up of different nations with different outlooks, with different history and traditions. Now, actually, before you can start to actually put anything into a Constitution, you have to have that foundation um, stone in place, otherwise it unravels. Would you acknowledge that you've got to have equality amongst the nations? And David, you talk passionately about localism and yet actually surely wouldn't you say one of the failures that you had yourself was that if you failed as a Labour government to actually have a national identity as well and so localism failed okay. on that
0: that's good I'm going to try and get the gentleman at the back Drum up there this man has blogged for us uh, your point of view tell us who you are and your point of view I'm looking around for a bit of diversity here I've got a lady here can we get it up here I'm so crude about that, but there's a lot of hands up at this point. There's a lot of hands up, and we need to wind up. Tony.
1: Tony Holland the issue is, do we need a constitution? Personally? I don't think we do. Do we want one? That's something obvious you can decide. But you are really, if I may say so, glossing over so many problems. Richard Gordon touched on them and it all comes down to the question of what he calls, somewhat disparagingly, parliamentary sovereignty. I'm a Cromwellian. I believe that ultimately Parliament is supreme and you can get rid of Parliament but once you've got a court interpreting a written document through tenure of judges they're there until they die or retire at 75. Now those are key issues as the United States Constitution has shown time and time again in the way they have to appoint judges to the Supreme Court. Do you trust the judges? Do you trust Parliament? One is temporary one is permanent.
0: Thank you Tony. Lady here and I'm going to take this gentleman then I'm going to have to go to a vote with comments from the audience. Uh, Madam, you got the microphone away you go.
11: My name is Julia
2: Truhl and I would like just to add to the point, the, the, the Supreme Court, if we have one, um, to follow the constitution and to tell the parliament or the government off if something is not right, it needs to be uh, reflecting the whole of the society. Um, but the, the original question I have is what I was missing today when we were talking about local, when we were talking about national, then there was maybe the inclusion of Wales and uh, Scotland, but what about Europe? Is this already? Are you already thinking about um, an English constitution for an independent England? Or an um, England that might belong to the United States, think, or one yeah. that maybe <laughs> sticks with Europe and um,
0: yeah, uh, wants think, to make yeah. a good point there. I think we we try to deal with it with the local, global, national thing. Two more. I'm going to get this guy in quickly, sir. We're running out of time. Ah. Need people out of here by quarter past
15: Yeah, my name is Carl Gardner. I'm a law blogger. Uh, I'm against a written constitution. I think it's the last thing we should be doing for two reasons. First of all, I think it's the most that uh, we heard it earlier about the long term. And I think saying that we now know how the future should be governed is such an arrogant thing to do, an arrogation of power. I don't think we should do it. And also, I love talking about constitutional change, which we have all the time. A written constitution would freeze that change and debate that we have all the time in Britain. Constitutional reform is not such a big deal in the US. So let's not freeze it. The big advantage of parliamentary sovereignty in response to Richard is it doesn't have those problems.
0: So every country in the world apart from New Zealand is wrong and we're right? Uh,
15: no, uh, they have good constitutions for them, but ours is perfectly sound for us.
0: Good man, Carl. And last, last word, attack.
9: I was going to ask a question but I might as well just pose it as a point as I don't have time but um, it's with response to the five Tell points who you are. I'm um, uh, Zach as you just said. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no. the, Please. The <laughs> that put me in my place. Go on. It's in response to the five points that Carol mentioned. I wonder whether you think and I think that they're, they actually gain potency when they're applied to the case for an unwritten constitution. It seems to me that an unwritten constitution which could probably be fairly described as an unknown constitution is um, more susceptible to the problems of elitism. It's more susceptible to the problems of uh, bad things getting in and good things staying out and also oddly enough to the problem of uh, the arrogation of power by the judiciary to my knowledge and I'm more than happy to be corrected by a professor of law uh, from LSE to my knowledge uh, parliamentary sovereignty is a judicial construct and the exact parameters of parliamentary sovereignty have been constantly and being currently uh, recalibrated by the judiciary so it seems to me that actually having a constitution who, which, whose exact content no one really knows about, who, where we can't point to a document and say this isn't the constitution and this is not, actually gives more power to elitist groups and unrepresentative oh, groups.
0: OK. Good man, Zach. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to shoot around, but then we're voting and we're out. So, David, one or two points directed at you, Carol as well, but we need to be very disciplined in time. I'm going to give you the last word, Richard, and then Leo. So, David.
1: Well, the the question on England, Scotland, Wales Northern Ireland, I I think you can have a a national identity which is historic, which has certain characteristics in relation to culture, but I'm I'm a British citizen and I believe that we have reinforced rather than damaged that and I hope that that's uh, clear in a a year's time when the Scots stay to to stay within the United Kingdom. Um, I, I just wanted to say one thing on the the presentation that we had at the at the end, which I thought was very good, and I think answers the question as to whether you should have a, a rigid, fixed atrified constitution, and that is that you have to have political dynamic there has to be the ability to mobilize people and an outlet for that mobilization and it can 't be to mobilize for judges I mean, can you imagine a, a, a political imperative for Engagement that says let's mobilise not for parliament, not for getting rid of a government, not for us having a say, but let's mobilise for the judges. Okay, but that's thank Think you. Think about it. Yeah, no, no, you
0: you played that one. Now that's fantastic. Uh-huh. Not the same thing, Carol, because we've had it. Uh, Zach's point or ed- responses from the audience. Thank you, David.
2: It's a bit difficult for me to respond to Zach because he was talking so quickly. I couldn't actually.
0: He said anything he you say he will
2: agree with because you're a professor at NSC. Oh, right. <laughs> but, I mean, he didn't say that. The whole point of <laughs> coming lame. to the NSE is to find out that professors are wrong. However, that said, most forms of government, I would agree with you, tend to come out elitist in the end, and constitutions don't protect you against that. Either way, you get there. Thank you. Nia, uh, anything? Comment quickly before we go to Richard?
0: No? Okay. 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 Uh, This is a kind of slightly Laura's dispute, but...
3: I mean, well, so I, I would echo what was just said about in, politics is always about elites, it's always about power, yes. and it's ultimately up to the people what they make it's with it. So, yeah. it's, yes. And, and
0: the Constitution, in a way, just reframes where the power is disputed. Yeah, but than I
3: other think other. The, the importance of the Constitution is the process that it initiates rather than the document itself. Very so, interesting. So once, once you I mean. bear that in mind,
0: it's about process here as well as about outcomes. In fact, we're more, we're more enthusiastic about the process than we are about the outcome, to some extent. Richard, the very last word, they're going to vote directly afterwards and the fate of your book may well hinge <laughs> well on what you now say.
4: Over to, to, to you. One get, minute. To get some sales, um, two points I really want to answer. First of all, I think it was uh, Tony Holland's point about uh, preferring a democratically elected parliament to unelected judges. That's putting it in a nutshell. Um, the simple point is, uh, that may be his preference, it may in the end be your preference, but through a process of fashioning a constitution, you can actually specify the answer. The simple uh, question I would put back to Tony Holland is, who on earth has ever voted for parliamentary sovereignty? Nobody, it's as unelected as, uh, as he says the judges are. Second point, the gentleman who, in the front who said, that uh, a constitution freezes constitutional change. No, it doesn't. What freezes constitutional change is our current absence of a constitution. Let me give you very one quick, specific anecdote. When I pushed my book, trying to trigger a debate, I was told, no this is a serious point actually, I was told by so many people in parliament They didn't want anything written down. They didn't want a constitution. It became obvious to me very quickly that those with power do not want to surrender it. And then shift very fast forward to Grayling's proposals to weaken challenges to the executive to effectively destroy judicial review. Why does he say this should happen? Why does he say pressure groups shouldn't be able to bring challenges? Because, and read the consultation paper, The government is the best judge of the public interest. There will be no principled constitutional change of any kind while we do not have a codified constitution.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much. Now look, no, no, no. Later, in a minute. (laughs) Uh, start voting. Should the UK have a written constitution? The project carries on regardless. It affects the way the form of the project takes. I don't want people to feel they have to keep the project going. Should the UK have a written constitution? Yes, no other undecided. Uh, yes, no other undecided.
1: 170
0: people have voted.
1: Keep going, vote go for the other. <laughs> I could see you trying to heckle there, David. <laughs> I mean, vote for the other.
0: <laughs> Whatever it might
5: be.
0: Oh, oh. Now, stay. Stay in your seats. My stay lady. in your seats. You're so pretty. As the vote comes through, the responses are in. It's a dead heat! All it is triumphalist, I don't know why, you've got a draw. It's, it's a dead <laughs> heat, 41% yes, 41% no, 6% other, undecided 12%, astonishing, astonishing. In a coalition, the other of one. <laughs> <laughs> I regard that,
8: ladies and gentlemen, as a mandate to continue. I oh my God, that as a mandate to
0: continue. No, fi- I want you to think about the following. Uh, I want you to keep tweeting, I want you to blog, I want you to comment. I want the comments to be on the substance, on the process. It is partly fun, but fun is also serious. What I said about process mattering more than substance is true. The purpose of this is to interrogate, as a community, the nature of our society. The mechanism we use is a debate about a written constitution. Just winding down, can I signal out uh, three people for thanks? Uh, uh, Jack m- uh, Jack is there. He won't stand up. He's a shy guy. <laughs> the, all, of this, all of this happened because of him. There he is. He does stand up. Does all up. of this. And Bradley, you have Bradley. This is Bradley. Bradley, turn around, Bradley. These people have been making My And Mayuri, where's my own? Where, Where is she? Where is she? Stand up, stand up. These three people have done all the gizmos. All the gizmos. I really- is our intern and she's going to be minding the project in the course of the next year. We have an, uh, the Institute of Public Affairs, the Department of Law, the Public Policy Group and we have Democratic Audit all, all involved. I want to thank them, Patricks and the audience here for their support and I, uh, this is a joint venture that's going to run over two years. I want you to join this journey today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming. It's a very important thing to say, when the stewards looked at you, they sent me a note. The note, they hadn't sent this earlier. When they saw you, they said, please remind the audience to hand in their clickers. Uh, hand in their clickers. They made an assessment of your worthiness. So they've rushed this to me. Uh, Blunkett doesn't have a sticker. He will walk off with I'm a, a big, microphone. No,
1: I want a big thank you to the LSE's answer to Bob Monkhouse. <laughs> <laughs> the audience, basically.
2: so much.
0: Now look a proper a proper round of applause for these four brilliant, brilliant <laughs>